0: Military Veterans in Journalism proudly presents Sword and Pen. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. My name is Drew Lawrence. I'm your host for this episode of Sword and Pen. Today we're joined by a very special guest. He has been a national security journalist for over a decade. He's worked for Newsweek, and his work has appeared in The Washington Post, The Atlantic, Reveal, The Daily Beast, and and many other outlets to include investigations that he's done. He is currently the managing editor for Military.com, which also means he is my boss. Zachary Fryer-Biggs, thank you so much for taking time and, and joining us on the show today.
1: Thank you. That was a very warm introduction. Also, I'm not sure I'm a very special guest, but uh, I'll do my best.
0: So, what we wanted to do with with this episode is, is a little different, because we've talked to uh, veterans who are reporters before, and we've talked to editors who are also veterans, but I wanted to talk to someone who uh, is not a veteran, but hires reporters and has hired uh, reporters who are veterans and get your perspective on that?
1: Well, you know, I'm happy to to lend a little bit of my experience with that. I do think I represent something slightly different because I've been covering this space for so long. Um, and even me trying to translate what goes on in the military sphere to other editors who don't have that experience can be incredibly difficult. So I, I can't even fathom trying to do that translation one further step removed as a veteran.
0: <laughs> right. So, I mean... Before we get into kind of the nuances of you know veterans and veterans in the newsroom, I can you, obviously I know about military.com, but can you tell us about military.com and what the publication aims to do?
1: So the site is the most read publication that focuses on the military and national security communities. Um, what I think we're, we try to do is really serve as a watchdog for that community while also helping that community tell stories. And that includes a lot of what I think are the most critical issues for service members and veterans and their families. We put a lot of emphasis on uh, health and wellness, on safety, on pay and compensation, on all of the sort of things that really shape people's lives. And we try to avoid falling into, I think, this sort of easy trap of getting too focused on hardware or too focused on some of the sort of low-hanging fruit when it comes to defense contracting, et cetera. But so we're, we're really all about the the lives of service members, veterans, and their families.
0: And in the beginning, you, you talked a little bit about the necessary translation that goes on with reporting on the military. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and how it looks? Who are you translating
1: for? Sure. So my general attitude is we can write for and about this community, but especially when we're dealing with real issues, when you're dealing with tainted water supplies, when you're dealing with uh, issues with... Suicide or sexual assault, or any of the many things that can have a detrimental impact on service members' careers, you can't just be talking to service members. Change in those areas has to come from a larger audience, from a larger community. So, you know, I like to say that I declared war on acronyms when I took this job. We try very hard to avoid that. We try to avoid in language. And sometimes it's hard, I think for folks who have lived in that world for a long time to recognize simple language that we use every day, but that the rest of the world may not know. I'll I'll give you a really simple one, uh, separating from the military. That's a term we use all the time, but if you don't have familiarity with the military separation or separating is not a term you'd ever use. And so there's a lot of just making sure that we're on guard for that language so that we can write things in plain English. And that means more people will read, uh, about the issues that we point to, and potentially more people can take action if there are things that need to be addressed.
0: And you mentioned the watchdog element of military.com. I want to talk a little bit about some of the the investigations and particularly there was you know, one sticks out from from my colleagues were uh, from Steve Bannon and, and Thomas Novelli was about um, this church um, that was really bilking veterans for their for their benefits. Um, Is there there an investigation that that you've seen um, that really kind of hones in on what the watchdog mission for Military.com exemplifies?
1: You know, that's a good example. Another one that comes to mind for me uh, was one that uh, our reporter, Patricia Keim, did on glioblastoma appearing to be far more prevalent in veterans than in the general population. And so that's an example where there are these veterans who are getting a very aggressive form of brain cancer at higher rates than the general population. And the VA was not acknowledging that something was going on there. And so we pushed and um, we did see some movement on it. And we have seen that more veterans are getting benefits uh, who are suffering from that condition. I, I will unfortunately have to say that much of the time it's terminal, but their families are getting some support. And that's an example where health is always going to be a critical part of what service members and veterans deal with. And if there is something that is impacting veterans that is tied to their service and the VA or the broadly the DOD or Congress isn't doing something about it, we have a responsibility to try to report on and expose those issues, and so I, I think that's a good example of the sort of watchdog work we do.
0: I, I'm wondering, just from your perspective, and being in the military.com newsroom myself, you know, we there's um, you mentioned Patricia Keim who is a, a military spouse. You know, there there are veterans sprinkled throughout there um, from all services. It seems like, can you tell us a little bit about how that? diversity in the newsroom may contribute to the breadth of stories, if, if you think it does at all.
1: No, I absolutely do think it does. Um, that also is in some ways a reflection of what our editing team um, has experience with and how we can best produce news. So I'll, I'll say very directly, you know, I didn't serve. I don't come from a military family. Uh, I had grandparents and great uncles, but I think everybody did. For me, there's a little bit of distance, even though I've covered this area for a while. And that means I need people who understand certain things about the military better than I do if we're really going to get at some of these root issues. So often, the way that works particularly well is with those who have served or are in military families. And they will have familiarity with a lot of areas that I won't. Um, And I can, in turn, serve as a check to make sure we're translating, as I mentioned earlier, to that general audience. So I can help make sure that we're doing the journalism um, as effectively as possible. I can help make sure that we are speaking in words that are going to be understood well beyond the military and national security communities. Um, And people who have that immediate experience can bring that to the table and combined that yields some potentially powerful journalism.
0: And so you talked about the, you know, the journalistic check that you bring uh, to it, because, you know, when you you talk about uh, bringing in different voices to a newsroom, those voices are um, in tune with the issues that they that they come from. So veterans being in tune potentially with veterans issues. Tell me a little bit about that check, because I'm assuming you know, that check has to do with kind of combating some of the biases that may come with that experience um, and making sure that it's, you know, objective in a, in a journalistic way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is that something that you've experienced?
1: Yeah. You know, so I would say that generally service members and former service members are more willing to be critical of issues they confront in the military than those who don't have that experience um and so it's kind of interesting at times the check i'm providing is context where we can point to an issue that exists in a a service branch and i may be providing the context of well bosses do similar problematic things in lots of different spaces how do we differentiate that this is specific to the military so sometimes it's just having knowledge of what exists outside of the military for those who may have less experience in careers um, and are newer to journalism let's say the flip side is that you also do have some service members um, who are more hesitant to be publicly critical or to point out potential flaws when it goes to Uh, naming folks in the services. And that's where the sort of journalistic standard that I apply really comes to, okay, we need to be specific. We need to name who is being impacted, who is responsible for that impact, what actions they have taken, et cetera, um, so that it's not as Amorphous, And I I think that's really where I tend to see it is there sometimes can be a little uh, gun shyness when it comes to naming folks that uh, happens with uh, service members and veterans, which, you know, makes sense. It's it's very different being in the journalism world than being in a very regimented rank structure. Right. Um, You're allowed to and in some ways obligated to as a journalist speak out in ways that you can't possibly while serving.
0: And before we get to kind of some of the nuances and and maybe some of your advice to to veterans looking to get into the reporting space, I kind of want to go back a little bit to to your career and talk about your experience in the in the national security space and how you got to those conclusions about you know why um, different voices may bring a little bit more of a broader perspective on some of the stories.
1: Well, um, so you know, as I said, i I don't come from that background. I'll be very honest. When I started, so I got hired um, to work for the Military Times papers when I was 23. And when I got hired, I literally put up on the wall of my cubicle. It wasn't a full wall, the partial wall of my cubicle um, pictures with the ranks and insignia for the various services. And You know, I had a style guide on uh, how we list ranks based on the in in the publications just printed on a wall because it was totally unfamiliar to me. Um, I really got into the area of coverage because of a professor I had in graduate school who I did some work with him. Um, This was an area that he focused on and he strongly encouraged me to pursue it. But I, I really didn't know much. And so I was very lucky. I had um, a phenomenal editor uh, when I started there who is still editing in this space. So I'll I'll mention Brad Penniston, who was patient and very helpful and brought me along um, to understand things better there. And then, you know, over time. I began to be more knowledgeable about the space and then recognize when reporters who knew nothing about it or didn't have a background in it, stepped into it they would typically mess things up um and i don't blame folks it's a complicated subculture it's it's its own world but um you see a lot of reporters who will dabble in the military space occasionally and getting the details right is not easy and often folks won't and so i think that's what started to get me thinking okay we have to bridge this better and I think there are a couple different ways to bridge it. I'll, I'll tell you, when I am hiring folks, and this goes back to what I was saying before, which is trying to leverage my strengths and uh, Travis Ritten, the deputy editor um, at Military.com's strengths, I look for, at the end of the day, someone who can have two critical skill sets, which is knowledge of the military and knowledge of journalism. When I think of what I can best train someone on or what I can best work with someone to help develop, it's the journalism space. I am not as knowledgeable on the military. And again, I think there's virtue to that. I will say that I think it's advantageous that I not get so in the weeds that I lose track of that translation to the broader audience. But the flip side is that I am still going to be better at teaching certain journalism practices than I am at teaching information about the military. And so if I sit and look at potential candidates for jobs or even people who are pitching stories from a freelance perspective, if you can bring knowledge or awareness of something I can work with you on shaping the writing, on shaping the questions we're going to ask as part of interviews or what have you. So, you know, I think it was seeing people muddy about in the military space and bluntly mess it up a little bit that said to me, "Okay, we have to make sure that there is knowledge here if we're going to do it right. And I say that there are people who have no experience personally in the military who do phenomenal work, in the sphere, but it's just something you can't duck into and duck out of.
0: Veterans, um, there's a perception about veterans about, you know, taking orders. Uh, I, I've been asked this question a couple times, um, you know, in, in various hiring processes, not at military.com, but, um, you know, do you, do I need to give you uh, direct in, instruction? Do I need to kind of hold your hand through things that uh, maybe? maybe you know, obvious to to other reporters. Is that, a, you know, something that you've uh, found when when hiring uh, veterans or, or people who are part of the military space or um, is it a little different?
1: So I really think that's a person by person, individual um Style question. Uh, I I can't say that I found anything uniform like that. There are folks for whom one does have to provide a high level of specificity, um, and there are folks for whom you don't. And I also think that that comes from experience, right? Like if you have a reporter, and it's sort of fascinating because we'll have people who are, in my view, young reporters who comparatively aren't that young compared to young reporters in the broader journalism sphere because they had a whole life beforehand. Um, they're still young reporters they're still reasonably new to the field and so sometimes for those folks they need a little additional guidance and that makes sense they haven't been doing it that long i i have muscle memory from doing daily stories on things or you know doing profiles or what have you that i can lean on if you haven't done that before it's harder and you're going to need some guidance to do it as well as you want to so That happens sometimes or you have folks who just have a sense of it and don't want that level of specificity from an editor. And I get it. You know, Drew, you and I joke often about bad editor ideas, which in the journalism sphere is just the editors who are more distant from a topic are going to have bad ideas. It's always better if you have reporters bring ideas to an editor. Um, So, you know. As much as possible, I don't want to be in a position where I'm dictating the way work gets done or uh, providing a high level of specificity. But I also want to be helpful to folks, especially if they're figuring out new ways to write stories or delving into areas they don't know. Um, with all that said, the one thing that I will say absolutely stands out from working with veterans is I get called sir more often than makes me comfortable. <laughs> and I will tell you that you know, there are certain folks uh, even on our staff who I love, who still will occasionally call me, sir. And I'll tell them like, please don't. And I, I know it's, it's, we talked about muscle memory for me with writing stories. It's muscle memory for a lot of people who served. Um, but I would say for, you know, vets, especially if you're dealing in the journalism space, that is something where as a civilian, um, it's unusual and it can make some folks, cause I've heard this from others uncomfortable. Um, and it, you know, Fortunately, I've been around the space long enough. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. I prefer not to have it happen, but that's just one like instinct that I would point to that does come across pretty much across the board from veterans.
0: Sure. So outside of um, you know calling someone sir or ma'am, there there are v- veterans who are who are listening to this who are you know in the space or, or or trying to get in the space who are are figuring out their path into uh, journalism and. I I wanted to get, you know, your general advice to that population, both applying to jobs, you know, you've seen many applications across your desk, what you would advise them to do. And also once they're in the space, um, starting out, what you would advise them to do.
1: This is advice that reflects an assumption of being in a fairly privileged position. So let me acknowledge that up front. But I think the attitude needs to be, what's the good work I can do? Because as an editor hiring, I'm looking for someone who's done good work. And that means you know, journalism that is thoughtful, journalism that demonstrates some writing ability. It doesn't mean that I expect a, per- a perfect finished product, but I need to see someone who's demonstrating some of that skill set. And you know, it's also a reflection of their interests if they're doing that kind of writing. Now, the flip side of that is, especially as a young reporter, it's really hard to get jobs or you get to do that. Um, you're often, if you do get staff jobs, going to be stuck doing kind of quick daily, you know, there are a lot of places that work as content mills where you're required to write five stories a day or what have you. And so it's going to be really hard to show off, um, that you have the ability and the interest in doing good work. Um, and so that's where the opportunity to freelance, I think is very important. Um, and you know, I, look early in my career. I did a small amount of freelancing on the side. I was fortunate that I had a staff writer position such that I had you know, my basic expenses covered. Even if you're exhausted from having to do other work to keep a roof over your head or what have you, maybe you're not actually working in journalism full-time and you're freelancing on the side, it's important that if you have the ability to really demonstrate that good work and be able to present clips to people that demonstrate that good work, that you go for it. Because um, that's that's really what I look for. And I sort of figure if I know you've got the interest and you are demonstrating some of the basics, we can figure out the rest.
0: And Zach, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think the military veterans and journalism community and audience should know?
1: Um. So I'll give you... And this is going to make me sound like a crusty old man, but uh, it happens to be true. One piece of advice that is the single most critical for folks who are trying to apply for jobs or are pitching freelance stories or what have you as they're getting into the career is just read a lot. I can't tell you the number of applications I see or pitches we get that reflect folks not reading our site, not reading stuff that's done by other sites. Um, and that, that's a big part of the job is just being aware of what's being written. So that lack of knowledge shows up pretty quickly and is pretty disqualifying much of the time. Um, so I would just say read as much as you can. Um, I'll give a, another couple pieces of advice. I talked about making sure you do good work. Often that'll be via freelance pitches. A lot of places, they're not great about responding to freelance pitches. That I don't think that's true for us. I try very hard to be very responsive, especially because I'm eager to bring in stories that maybe we haven't thought about before as a staff. And um, freelance is a great way for us to have other ideas um, outside of our little sphere. But um, if you get responses, just keep in mind that... You've got an editor who's busy, that you have someone who is trying to be supportive, but uh, you need to accept no. (laughs) That would be the other major advice from freelancers. When somebody comes back to me with two or three attempts at the same pitch, um, it does not bode well for future work together. I appreciate the passion, but um, we're all busy, and so that—that that would be the other thing is when you're going with those freelance pitches, try to make them succinct. Try to demonstrate that you know that uh, you know what is involved in doing a story, and if it doesn't work, fine, move on to another editor. But uh, just consider that I value, you know, your time as a freelancer. All editors generally do, and um, we kind of expect the same in return.
0: Right, and you know, I, I'd posit that you know, no once doesn't mean no forever. You know, you mentioned multiple pitches for the same story, but, you know, I've pitched as a freelancer um, to editors where I got a no on one story and then I tried again. Where That's, you know, for you as an editor, one no to, to someone isn't generally a disqualifier, correct?
1: Well, not for a different story, um, or if you meaningfully change the story. Um, but, you Generally speaking, I think editors have some imagination. I have a sense in terms of when I see a pitch, where else that story could go. So things have to be pretty significantly different for me to reconsider a pitch on a story. But just because I say no to that specific pitch um, does in no way mean that I'm not going to accept a different pitch from that reporter or that like someone is blackballed. That that's insane. That that's not how it works. Um, so you're absolutely right. Drew. When you come back, you can pitch a different story or I have had it where the underlying story has changed considerably. And so it becomes viable, but, um, realistically. It's got to be a pretty sizable change to a story before I'd reconsider it.
0: Zach, last question before we go. Is there anything that about military.com, any opportunities, any you know special things that you uh, want to highlight or, or leave us with uh, before we close out?
1: What I'd say is that I think this space is incredibly important. I think in a lot of ways, I view it as sort of a, a moral obligation to get this journalism right, um, given that service members have committed themselves to to serving the country. and so I, I view this as an important space and one that we have to do well. And I think military.com and the reason I took this job, uh, you know I was at an investigative reporting not-for-profit before this but the reason I took this job was I thought this space continues to need people who are willing to tell important at times difficult stories in thoughtful ways. And so I hope we're doing that. And I you know, would encourage folks to come to us with pitches um, for ideas that aren't getting covered because nobody is a monopoly on wisdom um, and I'm sure we're missing stuff. But I, I like to think that we're creating a, a good home for that kind of thoughtful reporting.
0: Zachary Fryer-Biggs, thank you so much for joining us on Sword and Pen. Thanks for having me. Listening to Sword and Pen, a military veterans in journalism podcast.